when you go up against Ryder Gills of America, you know those signs are going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's replace studio execs with AI, which is a pretty good one. This was this was pretty funny. Sure, I support AI. A as in all our terms being met, and I as in in a fair, timely manner, which is pretty funny. And then the absolute best one was you guys came up with Quibi. That's, that was it. That was the entire. Uh, my favorite one was my neck, my back. We need a fair contract. I mean, uh, yeah, to get in the music. <laughs> that's a good one. All right, welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. We've got Trunk fan Jack Butcher and Bilal Zaidi back. Jack, welcome back, mate. We had you uh, out last week. What's been going on, man? You've been on the road again. Been traveling. Been traveling, boys. Getting stuff done. Getting some moving, some atoms around. <laughs> well, you got another one coming up next week. You're going to be in New York again for a quick We're back. little stopover. You got something going on, Christie's. Do you want to share what's going on with that? Freeze. Art fair. Um, yeah, we're going to be doing something with Christie's on the 16th to the 23rd of May. A little uh, physical and digital collection. Going to be posting a couple of things about that in the next couple of days, but um, been back and Sick. forth to LA working with someone on producing some physical prints for a, a little small run checks collection. So I'm excited about that. Killing and, uh, it. Perfect. So what you're trying to say is the checks is still juicing. The juice is still rolling. Does we juice are... roll, by the way, or does this ball roll and then yeah. there's orange to be juiced? <laughs> I think I'm well, mixing. It makes it metaphors. It remains to be seen. We'll see how it does. Okay, beautiful. It's going to do well. Let's be honest here. Either way, yeah. So, all right, we got a lot to talk about this week, boys. We've got Pepe coin. Meme coins are back, apparently. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that and also Bitcoin breaking. Uh, people have been messing around on the Bitcoin chain with the stuff we've been talking about on the pod for a while on ETH, like, you know, pictures of monkeys and stuff like that. So we're going to break that down. A little bit like what's actually happening there people are saying is bitcoin is breaking um and then we're gonna do a little segment on the hollywood writer's strike and bloom house but yeah, let's bloom start. house productions yeah. the hollywood horror hit factory yeah so the boy yeah they've got that was it get out paranormal activity get out, you said paranormal the purge they I also say, did uh get Whiplash. out is a phenomenal film phenomenal film i there love that go. Okay, buddy. Let's go. Let's, talk, All right, let's get so into it. Jack, you've been following the Pepe coin stuff. I think a lot of people listening to this might have heard of it already, but what, what has been going on? I can see here that it was a $700 million market cap. I think it went even over a billion at one point. It's dropped a bit now. Um, and if there were, there were people... investment Definitely advice. not investment yeah. advice. Yeah, 100% not investment advice because it's already been dipping. It was I, We saw people sharing tweets. They bought something for 0.5 ETH and now it's worth, you know, a million dollars or whatever. Stuff we were used to seeing in 2021. I had to like check my watch and check the calendar because <laughs> I was like, is this, am I, am I like in a dream again? But um, I, I was not involved. I like stayed away from it, stayed away from the FOMO. But what was happening from your vantage point? Well, I think it was just like a concentrated meme coin season, we'll call it. So this idea of like a token that is loosely connected to an idea or a meme that already exists in this case pepe pepe, pepe the, the frog. frog do your research on that watch um there's a documentary called feels good man i think hbo made it on matt fury the guy who came up with pepe the frog who's had a tumultuous past 
been appropriated in, in various unsavory contexts over the years, but has emerged as for like example, the, for example, could you could you tell huge, us like allegedly and neo Nazi like oh, you right. know, yeah, like yeah. lots of um so the the documentary Feels Good Man goes into the redemption arc or the like reclaiming of Pepe the Frog as a character that does not represent those things. Very good. And also was used as a symbol of freedom in the Hong Kong protest a couple months ago. So like fully shared that connotation in my eyes. And just like internet main character, especially in crypto, like every reaction you see in a thread, comment, response, there's got to be like 10 million derivatives of... It's like him and Hasbulla, basically. The mascots of the the internet. Incredible, incredible amount of content and memes created around this character. So anyway... I think there'd been attempts in the past to like create a a coin that references the character, but timing of this one was different and caught the attention of certain people. And they created a Twitter account a couple of weeks ago, renounced ownership of the contract, like put everything out there. Like this is the structure of the, uh, you know, this is the the way in which we're going to spend funds to get listed on centralized exchanges, whatever else catches fire on Twitter, goes from. Tens of thousand dollars market cap runs all the way up to a billion, uh, 1.2, 1.3 billion over the course so of like, on the course of two weeks or maybe Insane. less, three weeks. And obviously just timeline is just in complete disarray, like total euphoria. Like, I mean, like almost bored ape, like the bored ape thing compressed into three weeks. It was just complete madness, right? It was like new paradigm. This is the future currency of the world. Yeah, you know, you know what you're gonna. <laughs> yeah, we you know you're gonna be reading. Well, actually, let's let's walk through. What is the standard? Uh, what is the abstract way that one of these things happen? Right, come out of nowhere, blow up. People imagine that you build a whole new economy on top of said coin. Uh, everyone's a billionaire. Nobody has to work anymore. And then the hangover happens when you realize there's a mini pump. Was that what's going on here? Was this a mini pump? Like, who was the beneficiary? It was a major pump, and then... But yeah. yeah. No, no, what a, what a mini was. No, no, it's Was short. it like a shill, like a pump and dump? Or, particular point, it was not a mini pump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a massive yeah, pump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, weirdly, it wasn't available on any exchanges for the first probably 10 days or so. And these timelines, I'm totally guessing here, but... Like this was all just happening on Uniswap, you know, decentralized exchanges. So it was really like crypto native people that were involved in this. And that's what I think led to a lot of the speculation to the upside is like, wow, this thing has got this much momentum without using any of the centralized on-ramps that would typically like drive the market cap of a Doge or Shiba Inu or any of these more established things. That comparison is being made too. Yeah, went so all like the way up the to comp- one point. Made- oh my god, this is volume. Sorry, two billion volume. Yeah, yeah. Switch the volume, market cap the on the right at the top, at top left. Uh, wait, where's this? Oh yeah, market cap. Yeah, yeah. Okay, there you go. That's that's a better. Tr- yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness, dude, that is a way better chart. That than is price. ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. So wait, it's still uh seven hundred and fifty people. Yeah, yeah. People, oh man, it's still this incredible. This is not investment it's... advice. Like this, for the love of God, it's definitely this not. This is yeah. not investment it's definitely advice. Not. No, I think the, no. yeah. I mean, the the most likely scenario here is you, you, you are the exit liquidity already. I think by this point, in my opinion, but yeah, is, uh, I have zero holdings. As we all same. know, the running joke with uh, Trunk Fan is every <laughs> crypto pump he makes zero dollars from it. In fact, he's definitely down all time. Uh, actually, I'm pretty close even. Pretty close even. 
Well, these things are like extreme trade-offs in terms of time and attention at this stage of their existence too, where anybody like trading this in the short term is like, you're not sleeping, right? The movements on this thing are so obscene because it's so immature of a market and it's reacting to like tweets in real, like it's crazy, man. Like a rumor on Twitter moves the market cap of this thing 200 million bucks in like an hour so it's just fuck it's just insane it's mad it is that's that's been the fastest one though have you seen I anything think it that has fast? to be like fastest thing to a billion dollar market it just has to be i don't know if i'm off on that but well yeah. vibes and no that, facts we've got to bring it back 2021 yeah, vibes yeah, yeah. There. and yeah. It, and it, that it is a good example of that it's like uh it is a mimetic like tapping into the equity of this thing that already exists it's yeah it's a mad uh a mad story i don't know where it goes from here but yeah a good segue onto what's happening in the crypto economy in general. Yeah, there we go. So what's going on in Bitcoin? I mean, I've, I've got a couple of notes here that we were speaking something about ordinals I needed to bring up with you. So um, we're way well, late on this, boys. We should have covered this months ago. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but basically this Gun. idea of NFTs on Bitcoin and anybody technical will probably disagree with that as a tldr description but for 99 percent of people that will suffice to describe what's happening it's the ability to store files on bitcoin and they're inscribed the language that is used on bitcoin is they're inscribed into an yeah. individual satoshi so these things are like in a way bitcoin is a like a fractionalized nft there's one way to think about it is like Every Satoshi on Bitcoin has like a history and you can inscribe data into every single one of them. So the way this is working is like, or originally the way it works is like, you had to have like a sophisticated mining operation to custody the sats that you want to inscribe. Then you put data onto them. The limit I think is four megabytes, which is significantly more than like, if you try to put four megabytes of data on Ethereum, it's going to cost you like a Porsche 911 probably. It's going to be expensive as hell. And this idea of ordinals they are inscribed in sequential order so it's different than ethereum they're not like individual smart contracts there are not like ten thousand tokens within a collection it's just one two three four it's like from zero to i think they're up to like five or six million inscriptions right now and the bitcoin community has basically just been laying dormant especially with regards to like internet culture like the stuff surrounding bitcoin was just conversations about it right it's like sailor podcasts like debating the nature of money and economics and there's no, like the kind of the use case for bitcoin is there isn't a use case outside of store of value store of value yeah and that really is like what a lot of people who believe in it hang their hat on so as soon as this kind of behavior comes around it's really caused a massive divide in the bitcoin community if you want to call it a community like the idea of using this as a yeah a store of value sound money cyber hornets encrypted wall of energy versus like shitcoin casino monkey jpeg storage all of that kind of stuff so that behavior you know that's always been like condemned by the most vocal bitcoin believers at least in my experience so what's happening is as those use cases are getting developed and as people are building the ability to like launch tokens on bitcoin i don't know enough about that to go into detail but there was this thing that came out, BRC20, which is a play on ERC20, which is a fungible token on Bitcoin. So people are just launching these basically hyper short-lived 
token, fungible token, uh, like contracts embedded into a, a single Satoshi is causing the, basically the, the transaction fees on Bitcoins to go parabolic. So like there was a tweet that I think Bilal you sent this morning, someone in El Salvador, like trying to send a hundred bucks and it's 20 bucks to send it. So it's like the, all and of the things. There's one are, more, I just had just to mention, um, Bitcoin block 788695 contain tra transaction fees greater than the block subsidy. So that should kind of paint a picture. So it sounds like the transaction fee is greater than the incentive, I guess, for someone to, uh, for a miner or whatever to complete that transaction. I, I'm assuming that's what it means. Um, I'm assuming that's what subsidy means in that case. But essentially, like you're buying DoorDash delivery and you paid more for the delivery to your house than the food itself or something like that. I think that. that's I already the case, isn't it? But well, that's, we're getting, well, that's we're pretty getting much close. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> A twelve dollar, twelve dollar well, sandwich. I, like, I cost... want you guys to imagine a world. Imagine you <laughs> yeah, got a burrito yeah. for yeah. twelve dollars, <laughs> and then there's fees on top of it that are more than twelve dollars. Blah. That's literally <laughs> exactly. what's happening right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wait up. Mate, I've I've seen I've had a uh, maybe a forty five dollar Burger King in the last six months or something just for myself, well, for and that's like not egregious. That's not egregious ordering. Oh, that's dude, just it's, it's insane, man. Dude, I ordered a doner for like 30 bucks. And like, you know those things like four bucks. You ordered a what? A, what? a doner. A doner? <laughs> There's a place in Vancouver called Doner, dude. G great. Yeah. Great like the Turkish name, doner, by the way. Yeah. Like yeah. The... Just, just yeah, alliteration. <laughs> same letter. Doner. Dude. Yeah. This is and the uh, whole segment. We got to do a whole segment on this. Yeah. Wait. Yeah, that's uh, incredible. I to you have to get something. on the peloton after yeah. eating your donut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did I say donut wrong? How the donut? No, what, no, what it's probably just how uh, Canadians say it. That's just funny. So, no, uh, we call good. it doner kebab. Yeah, but Donna, okay, yeah. that's weird, dude. We're probably so, saying it wrong too. <laughs> Turkish people are like doner. You're actually closer to yeah. the yeah, yeah, yeah. correct you version. You gotta roll the R. Uh, yeah, two Brits can't be talking about pronunciation of um, yeah, international yeah, language yeah. words. Let, so. Hold on, let me hit. Uh, let me hit uh, Jack's point here quick. The entire time Jack was talking about, uh, what is it called? Orthogonals? What is this thing? Ordinals. Yeah, ordinals. Oh, Whatever, sorry, man. Sorry. I bought Bitcoin. I don't f with this stuff. All I know is the entire time Jack's talking, I was just like, want to ask, what do you guys think Michael Saylor thinks? Do you think he thinks this is ethical? <laughs> do you think Michael Saylor thinks this is ethical? We need to get him on to ask again, man. That hey, was... Michael. Uh, sorry, there's a bit of a... First of all, thank you for coming on our podcast last year, but one of the biggest uh, uh, replies and comments from listeners is, we didn't know whether or not you thought ETH was ethical. Could you clarify yeah, your thoughts on you the ethics of ETH as a security? And do you think that your position on ETH has turned out to be broadly adopted <laughs> by the SEC in the past 12 months? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good point. Good point. All right. So anything else? I mean, I guess that that wraps up the Bitcoin part. I guess to, to wrap it up, though, I'd love to get your take, Jack, because you're someone who's built in the space on ETH primarily. You've obviously been, you know, doing NFT stuff for a while. You've, I think you've got stuff on the Ordinals uh, Bitcoin okay. side of things as well, right? And I don't know if that's like released somewhere or whatever, but that is something you're experimenting with potentially, but most of your stuff is done on ETH, I assume. So what yeah. is your kind of take on it do, overall? I think the, at least my understanding of it so far is that it's much more of a like storage of digital artifacts in a sequential nature it's very different infrastructure than ethereum when when you think about it as a comparison to nfts like there's no programmability 
here. It's just like this thing is going on Bitcoin and it will be maintained by the Bitcoin network for a long, 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 long time. I heard all these stories back in February, people like trading ordinals over the counter and spreadsheets. Like someone put a bunch of uh, crypto punks on Bitcoin and people were like, I don't even know how this worked, but like custodying this Satoshi finding like somebody to escrow it, they're sending it to this person and then the Bitcoin goes through that third party back. So it's like the complete opposite of like trustless transactions. Yeah, yeah uh, it's like but, in a Google Doc, yeah. Right, right. But the idea of um, being able to preserve digital artifacts this way is, is interesting to me. So when it first kicked off, somebody we all know, someone in our network reached out to me. It was like, oh, you should look at this. Here's uh, a couple things that you can make happen in a short period of time before this Michael thing. Michael Saylor got to... you to do this, yeah? yeah, yeah. <laughs> Saylor messaged me. Was, and, uh, was this gentleman the former CEO and founder of a company called MicroStrategy? <laughs> <laughs> me and Saylor have been so tight ever since that part. Yeah, we've been yeah, plotting yeah. all these <laughs> NFTs. Nah, the um, <laughs> idea that some of the value of these things comes from how early they were relative to the start of this inscribing happening. So I think it's up to five or six million now. Most of the value is concentrated in the like early thousands of inscriptions just because it marks like some cryptographic history and people who are interested in these systems are collectors of those artifacts. Well, if, you, so. if you think back to Tom Osborne's episode, the Ether Rock, the Ether exactly Rock, right. that was... That was a first of its kind, apparent, I forgot the phrase he used, it was some technical term, but that was the logic anyway. One of them, one, one of, of them, yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, Exactly. Yeah. All right, yeah. perfect. Well, we got, uh, we got, um, we, that's a transition to the next Sorry, day. guys, sorry. <laughs> I, Trungs I was, on a, bra I was <laughs> so on a brand new people computer. Watching, people yeah. watching uh, Trung just start sharing his screen for work, work, the next segment, which is all good. Hit it, Trung. We've already said all the way too sorry, many no, times. No, no. Time for us I, to move on. But I no, just saw enough. Bilal's message, and uh, for Inside Baseball for listeners, we, the, yeah, like yeah. a thing is always about sharing screen, which is always, like, for some reason, it's always annoying, and it always takes us, like, 30 minutes to figure out. Like, no, normally I do it, but today my my screen was freezing, so I was uh, okay, okay. making sure so, but we can try it. I'm blaming you for that, man. I saw the message, yeah, Watch, now I gotta figure this out. But uh, wait, sorry, Jack. Uh, if you had more to finish off there. No, man. We'll come back to it when there's more to say. But right now, it's like this is a big. Uh, I guess the final point is, I think the Bitcoin core developers now are like divided over this, where some people are trying to make changes to the infrastructure of Bitcoin to stop this from happening going forward because it's fucking with the original or like the consensus use case of Bitcoin as a blockchain. So yeah, keep uh, tuning in to Not Investment Advice for some, <laughs> you know. For staggered analysis. Yeah. For, a, for some very staggered analysis. Yeah, exactly. inaccurate reporting on <laughs> yeah, this yeah. phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, well, the thing is, Jack, you did say that. I mean, because originally the idea, we already switched the narrative from a currency to digital gold, which has been the more, more modern or more recent yeah. thing, and now there's, like you said, there's a split in the community. So anyway, let's see how that goes. No, but hold let's, on. Go on. I gotta say one more thing about this. This show is so evergreen. Our content is so evergreen. <laughs> We're ten years late to the content, yeah. but it's still good. 
Because yeah. we talk about it's, we wanted to know the pulse. That's exactly. it. We wanted to make sure it was correct, and then made sure it wasn't <laughs> correct when we actually spoke about it. All right, boys. I feel we can move on to the Hollywood right strike. Thanks, Jack, for breaking that down. Let us know what you think of that in the comments below. Trunk, you're the closest to Hollywood we get on there. Well, I'd say you and Jack are kind of close because Jack's no, no, got his Jack's LA vibe legit. going. And, but uh, Trunk, you've failed... sold a, you've you've yes. fought, sold a, a script. But I was never part of the Writers Guild of America. I I didn't even get to that level. There. That's true. That's true. Eleven thousand five hundred members of the Writers Guild of America. And just a little bit of background for the listeners and viewers. These writers produce all the content you see on networks and streaming. They write everything. They produce 4,000 episodes. Oh, they write 4,000 episodes a year. So just to give you an idea of what's going on here and how this yeah. economy works. So Are they all wow. mostly based in Hollywood or is it across the country or across well, the I globe? Well, I mean, it's, uh, it, Writers Guild of America, most of them are based in California uh, because it makes sense. Uh, there are people uh, elsewhere. Um, the uh, They're going up against what's known as the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. So that's the streamers and the studios. And uh, they the went people on making shows versus people writing shows. Yeah, the people that put into production and then distribute it. Uh, like yeah. The major studios, Warner, Fox, and then the streamers, Amazon, uh, Netflix, uh, uh, HBO Max, ETC. Got it. So, so Bilal, the... you mentioned, yeah, I want to ask you, you mentioned before you've been listening to some stuff. Like, What is your understanding of the situation? It was just on a, it wasn't a writer's podcast. It was just a, a pop culture podcast of brilliant idiots with Charlemagne the God and Andrew Schultz. And they had a, a, their friend on who used to be at um, TMZ and now he writes for for Hollywood shows and stuff, I think. Um, but essentially, they were talking a lot about the gripes they all have around, you know, what's going on. They want to be paid more. They wanted more. Um, there was something about how the residuals work, I think, was another talking point. So when it goes on to Netflix and stuff like that, how they get paid from that or if they get paid at all from that. Uh, so I think it was around January pay, but also changes, like catching up with the modern world, essentially. Like the when they first were writing a long time ago. They didn't have Netflix, obviously, right? So th it's just like a lot of delayed stuff there. And then the third part, which I found most interesting, um, was the AI discussion, because now there was a discussion around the producers and the people who are responsible for getting these shows out there to say, well, what if we do want to use AI in the future to write scripts or at least assist in writing scripts? And a lot of the writers are saying, well, that's going to replace our jobs. And it kind of just reminded me of like Uber, when it came to, let's say the UK, because I remember reading news about this, the black cabs in the UK, where a lot of people don't know, but the black cab, to be a black cabbie in the UK, you need to do thing, something called the knowledge. It's like a test. Do you know about it, Strong? It feels like a fun fact, fan. You got to memorize like all of London, right? Street. It's like the craziest yeah. thing ever. It's crazy. So you need to know, you need to be sat nav in your brain, basically. You'd be like, I'm going to Essex Street in East London. Which one? There's three, and I'm going to take you the best route. And so that that was obviously an incredible skill that was valued for a long time. But then when Uber came around, people said, why am I going to pay a premium for that? I'm just going to use this instead. And there was a big debate around that. So obviously, we've seen this in many different instances. We've seen it with music. We've seen it with Hollywood before uh, and streaming. But that kind of reminded me of that because generally speaking, philosophically, I'm normally on the side of the creative person, right? Like I want the writer to have a job. I want humans to be able to create freely but i'm also on the side of technology helping you and 
um, maybe not completely replacing you, but using barely.ai uh, to be <laughs> If to you're be part of to... the Writers Guild, I don't, I don't fully support what Bilal, no, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. I obviously have very, uh, you nailed it, right? There's this intersection, but dude, you yeah. touched on all the high level points. And what I would want to go 50,000 foot on for the listeners that aren't very close to this and, and haven't listened to the Brilliant Idiots podcast like Bilal did was, I mean, I think you have to think about this like any business, right? What are the inputs to that business? The writing is part of the, is one of the inputs. And now if you're a person contributing to a business, obviously in any negotiation, you want to know, what do you want to know? You want to know how big the pie is and you want to know how much of that pie can you reasonably get, right? And you nailed a very, very salient point. And what is actually at the crux of this is there wasn't streaming always, right? There wasn't DVDs always. There wasn't home video always. So back at the beginning of Hollywood, the theatrical tickets was where the bread and butter was, right? It's like, how much movie did this film make in theaters? But as you start layering on technology and all these different uh, uh, different uh, ways of income, the income streams, because you have to remember, DVDs were massive. Like, the the, the DVD business was out there. Like, guys, the how many DVDs or... did you own? How many DVDs oh, yeah. did you own? Bro. Yeah, I had a like, whole collection, yeah. Did you did you guys uh do you guys have any any favorite box sets? Because I, I like I'll give you an example. The Band of Brothers HBO box set is like one of the favorite I've ever had. It's like really nicely packaged. But it's like, man, what about you guys? Do you guys remember anything off the top of your head? I think I had that God, uh, Jack, you're on a uh, mute there. Uh the office. That's that's just the one I the oh, only yeah. one I remember. University just like on repeat. That's pre Netflix, so so box sets was the that's right, right? That's move. an extra income stream. And you would give so, it to people, right? Like they'd come to your yeah. house and look like a book. Oh, like dude, bro, can I borrow this? Can, can I, I borrow, borrow this? the in-between yeah. us? <laughs> can I borrow, <laughs> basic, can in I the borrow house? basic instinct? Why is it so sticky when I try to open this box? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's the wrong collection trunk. That was the one in the bedroom. That's a different one, mate. <laughs> yeah. Bro, Family that's, show a riff, here. that's a riff on uh, Chappelle's joke. He's talking yeah, about yeah. the United States history books, and he's like, have you guys ever read the history books about the uh, United States? When you get to the page about Jeffrey Kennedy, uh, JFK, and RFK, it's stuck together because they're banging everyone. <laughs> Anyways, man. Uh, but yeah, yeah Rafa, so you're saying Rafa, that Rafa, shift. you might have to mute that. No, no, no we're good. We're, the, the shift, essentially, you're saying, like, the uh, we talked about this the with music. The business models keep changing, right? He's like, where is the pie the money of the money? money coming from, yeah. Yeah, so now, though, okay, we're there. We understand Business models change, pies change, and the bean counters at these studios are like, let's be honest, they're trying to fuck the writers. Pies I'm just change. gonna be straight up, right? The these bean guys counter. are <laughs> when there's a new revenue stream, they're like, Hey, this is, is this... a biased reporter right yeah, here. This, no, this, this, the screenwriter. This is a lowercase J journalist <laughs> right I here. I have a CFA and an MBA, okay? I'm I'm on both sides of this. No, all no, no. Right, so right. these bean counters, no, but I mean you, you see what I'm saying, right? <laughs> There's some it, hate in there. We need to get into this a little bit <laughs> after. Imagine, imagine you're the studios. This new revenue streams come up. Hey, man, is this were DVDs in the original contract we have with the Writers Guild? Oh, it's not. Well, guess what? We're not going to give you any. It wasn't in the contract. Is that what this? Is that by letter of the law? Mm, yeah, yeah, by I the spirit. You. Not great. It's not great, right? So this is why in 2008 the same strike happened. It was a hundred days. It was hundred days long. 
Uh, you guys might remember some of the shows that were disrupted. They had to pause The Office. Prison Break was paused. Lost was paused. Actually, I think they lost the entire season of The Office because these writers are literally just on strike. The shows, some shows, if you don't have the scripts in time, you're done. You literally cannot uh, tap any of these writers. And um, there's a great thread. Uh, we'll link to it. But someone was making a very salient example of like, you guys think like writers going on strike is a joke? It's like, I'll give you a very good example. Go watch the movie, The Quantum Solace, the Bond movie. That movie was in production in the middle of a writer's strike. And it just totally hit the shitter. Like, Daniel Craig was rewriting scenes because they didn't have writers on set. And you can just tell this movie is, like, flat and just, like, not good. Versus, like, because the first one was really good when they did, did the reboot with uh, Daniel Craig. But, yeah, that movie didn't have writers on it because they were all on strike. But I'll, I'll, I'll give you the, uh, a positive history. Is uh, Breaking Bad, a, a, a favorite of the show, was uh, they were going to get rid of Jesse Pinkman. But uh, to kill him off. They're going to kill Boiler Jesse Pinkman off. Spoiler alert. Uh, but this is a season one spoiler alert, so it's actually not that big of a spoiler alert. But because of the writer's strike, they're like, oh, we got to like move pieces around. They end up saving Jesse Pinkman. Like, this is what happens. Like, creative decisions are affected by this writer's strike. Like, I want to reiterate, they wrote 4,000 television episodes last year, right? Like, all these writers collectively. So, the pie keeps getting bigger. 2008, there was a strike. What was the 2008 strike about? It's very interesting. But I'll touch on it. Streaming was kind of this issue. But streaming wasn't even a thing in 2008. Like Netflix had launched a streaming business, but the DVD business was still much bigger. There wasn't Amazon. There wasn't Apple TV. There wasn't Hulu, any of this stuff. But 2008, after the Writers Guild and the writers had been completely just bent over on the DVDs, like they didn't get any of the residuals on DVDs, right? And they're like, what is going... They're like, so they coined this. They're like, okay... Clearly, something's happening with the internet, right? We all know this is all going to end up on the internet. Sorry, I got the sniffle. Oh, yeah. Dude, kid in the house, Jack, you get it, man. The kid starts coughing, you're like, two days later, you get it, right? That's it. Yeah. So, um, Ralph, I'll leave that in. That's authentic. (laughs) Yeah, keep it real. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the DVDs, big business. Streaming, not quite there yet, but all the writers are like, the WGA, the Writers Guild, is like, what about this, like, something's going on in this internet stuff. We have a feeling some stuff's going to end up on the internet. They called it new media, right? They saw YouTube, YouTube, uh, Bilal's former employer, disclaimer. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Once a week, you got to get in. Once a week. So they knew that this was happening. So they ended up getting a deal on uh, 2008, 100-day writer's strike. This is what they ended up getting. Uh, They got uh, 1.2% of grocery sheets on rental. So this goes out to DVD. Ad-supported streaming. There wasn't even a subscription streaming at this point. So they got 2% of ad-supported, and there was nothing on subscription streaming. So think about that. They got ad-supported streaming residuals, but not subscription because that they didn't, that wasn't even on the table in their heads, which is insane, right? Yeah. So no, that makes that a lot of sense. About Bilal in it. This is the biggest chunk of money right now. You're hearing... And by the way, all these streamers are losing money, like hand over fist, right? But uh, they're building it because you got to build techno- technological moat. And then actually Netflix has to cash flow positive now. But the whole point is it's really expensive to run these streaming businesses because how much you pay for content. I think last year, Disney and Netflix paid combined like 20 to 30 billion. Trump fan got zero of it. And he's still <laughs> struggling to break into Hollywood. <laughs> Jesus Christmas, people. Can somebody cut me a goddamn check? Okay. Anyways, try going to roll, mate. Keep it going. Yeah, I'm on a roll. <laughs> yeah. I'm on, this rant is going. Okay, so 
couple things are going on here. The pie, that's one part of it. The other part of it is this. The actual making of content has changed. So back in the network TV world, this is how they used to do it. They would just hire as many writers as possible. This was the system because there was so much money tied up in cable so that if you, like, man, you guys probably know how much money the Friends people Seinfeld make from just cable reruns, right? Yeah. And this goes to something we talk about. Where are people's attention? People's attention is in cable, right? It wasn't cable. These residuals from these reruns, so for people to know, like, Seinfeld makes like 50 to 100 mil a year from his reruns. It's like it, it, one of the greatest passive income streams ever. You think about all these guys, Law and Don't Order, Friends. Don't see him on a thread about that, do you, mate? Yeah. He's just chilling, enjoying himself. <laughs> Eight, eight, eight passive income streams. Well, here, let me ask you guys: What are some reruns that you want? That you, that you, like? I'll give you one. Law and Order is something I watched every single summer, like every day. When I was off of university, I just watch it every single day. I don't watch any of these on um, cable anymore because I don't have cable. But just, yeah. like, I'd say like Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Like if it was like, even on a plane, I don't yeah. know if this even counts. But yeah, even on a plane, like if I see it there, I'll, I'll watch it. I've watched each episode like a hundred times. Just, but what still, about you, Jack? Uh, probably Shark Tank is the biggest for me yeah. whenever I'm traveling. Oh, like, yeah. yeah, that's a good the one. NBC actually, yeah. is that's just a great always one. ripping those. Yeah. So there you go, right? There's like, there's this other pie of money that network TV provided for writers and even like showrunners. Like, okay, we'll pay you to make the show, but there's all this money afterwards also, the residuals. But the problem is that you shift to streaming, as you guys probably know from what you've seen in the news, uh, I had probably read it and like, Streaming doesn't have residuals. Netflix will just pay you a fat check at the front, and that's it. That's the end of it. You get nothing on the back end, right? So that changes. The economics have changed for writers. So when you when you mentioned blah these residuals, this is what's happening. The attention has shifted from television and cable to streaming, but when it poured it over, the studios and uh, the the other side of the WGGA, WGA battle are like, okay, well, we're not doing residuals anymore. Because streaming is a totally different world. We're just not going to have residuals. And the it's writer's like, like, huh? Yeah, we'll try. Go it's ahead. kind of, it feels like to me from the outside without knowing too much. It's like if the music industry, if they still had this outdated contract where most of your money is being made from CD sales or something. Yeah. And it's like, the, now obviously now everything's in streaming on Spotify or whatever and YouTube and, and TikTok. So you're, you're now had to account for that and things have changed. But in this case, it's just this old, that they haven't really updated it to account for the way things have moved on, I guess. Exactly. Or they yeah. don't even want to. They're like, whatever, right? Like, but this is what the fight's about. And then, I mean, this took a decade for them to to come to this point, yeah, it's right? it's kind of shitty, man. But they got to tokenize it, right, Sean? Yes. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, you brought up such a great point with Uber because one of the things that WGA is saying is that the studios are basically trying to make us gig workers. So there's no upside as there used to be in the network TV world. And the studios are like, you brought up AI is like, do we even need as many writers anymore? Right? So here's where it actually gets really sticky. And the way that we've consumed streaming, especially particularly television, has really changed the industry, even from a creative perspective. I'll explain why. In these world, in the network TV world where there's money everywhere across the entire life cycle of a show, instead of just one big pot up front, like, you know, oh, you're going to make House of Cards, here's 50 million, done, don't ever talk to us again. Like, this is what's happened. So when you have smaller writers' rooms, which is what's happening, and you and you employ fewer writers, 
and you have low at, at the minimum. So you're when you when you're part of the guild and a, a studio pays you to write for the show, you have a guaranteed minimum, a guaranteed minimum that you have to get paid per episode or a per time span that you're on this show. But when you're reducing the writers' rooms, what happens for the future of the industry? You're the people that need to learn how to write aren't getting reps anymore. So people like Shonda Rhimes will get her. $100, $200 million contract. Okay, she's amazing. She kills it with like Bridgerton. Uh, she does she did Grey's Anatomy from the network days. But now, who's going to be the next Shonda Rhimes? Because she's not even that person. He's even get the opportunity to be in this situation to to operate in a writer's room, to manage other writers. Do you guys see what, do you see what I'm saying here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like creatively, this is a big issue. Now, what the WGA wants is this. They want higher minimums they want more guaranteed writers per show uh, to keep the system alive because their argument is very similar to how Bilal was describing his black, uh, the black cabbies in uh, black cab drivers in London. Was if you you're trying to be a writer in LA and they're get and these minimums are, are aren't keeping up inflation, which they're not, and these writer rooms are smaller, you're not going to be able to live in LA, right? Like you like I'm taking this to the micro level. Like you literally can't even learn this trade, and. Yeah, that, uh, the argument on the studio side is like, it's like any argument with unions, right? It's like, oh, you're just going to stick us with all this like fat and the, uh, all the extra employees we don't need, right? Because that's what unions quote, unquote do in the eye uh, when they're portrayed negatively. So I'm going to throw that out there. Do you guys have any questions about the situation here? Jack, kind of think, mate? No, I th- I was a very comprehensive uh, overview. And I think the... Someone I know somebody who lives nearby in Studio City and they like drive past it every day and he's like they're uh, like picketing with chat GPT signs like the language on the signs is talking about chat GPT I don't know exactly what it says I got some picket signs for you is what uh, yeah. yeah before I was, I was about to say this uh, Jack before uh, uh, you finish your thought but I want to add something was uh, when you're going up against an industry typically let's say plumbers are striking or Amazon workers are striking. When you go up against Writer Guilds of America, you know those signs are going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'd hope so, yeah. Yeah, right. you would hope so. So, uh, Jack, thoughts? So, what you mentioned about, like, people not, I guess, not taking the internet seriously or there being no transparency into where your work goes, there's still these crazy, concentrated, centralized forces in media, right? The... I don't know how many it actually is, but like Disney, for example, you look at that organization, organizational chart, and it's like how much influence they actually have or how much distribution they actually have. I guess the conversation then becomes like, can they operate without these people? And in the short term, it feels like absolutely not, right? It feels like they're going to make some headway or they're going to be able to negotiate some different conditions, but ultimately it's like standing in the, like standing in front of a steamroller over a long period of time, right? It's like, this stuff is going to change. And, you know, I say that with confidence, but I don't know. Again, you can like decentralize all of these efforts, but if you still have a monopoly on the distribution, then you still make the the ridiculous margin, right? Like even this guy that did the Drake AI thing, take the copyright thing out of it. But so if a person with distribution decides they don't want that to be out there, it's not going to be out there. So I think a lot of the, there is still a lot well, of like confusion around. Well, like YouTube and around. Spotify chopped it, right? Like exactly to your point. Yeah, like you go, oh, we're going to organize and we're going to make our own stuff and we're going to win on merit. It's like either two things happen, they kill you before you get there or money wins and you get bought out and you get integrated into the machine, right? That 
it's all it's like te- it's like tech companies it's the same idea of like we well, are going to change the world and then like somebody's in front of you with a hundred million dollar you're check and you're employee like, for the next four you years know what? <laughs> i'm gonna do my three-year earn out and then i'm gonna go sit by the beach or whatever and most people will succumb to that i'm not saying i'm not trying to say anybody has a particular call, point right? of view yeah yeah but but it feels like I don't, I don't know the the intricacies of how that industry works to know like most people are obviously to use a crypto term in it for the art yeah. <laughs> an nft term i should say well let me give you exactly uh one of my favorite quotes ever is from trey parker and matt stone the south park guys somebody accused them of selling out when they cut like this hundred plus million dollar deal with uh viacom and comedy central and they just go selling out was a point <laughs> the entire point was selling out right right and i'm like i love these guys right? but they have so much control uh, a couple of things uh i do want to add I think you nailed on some really great points. So uh, I think the steamroller thing is a great point. Uh, well, let's just put it this way. The strike, the 2008 strike, this is, this is actually exactly what you're saying, uh, that this slow steamroller with the distribution, in this case, you said, you know, to Disney, they're just kind of like, listen, you're, you're going to be a sponsor, but you bring up, this is the exact point that was so great that you brought up. So 2008, the Writers Guild had a lot more levers than they do now, right? Like, I don't watch a lot of TV. Like, right. in 2008, People were feeling the pain of that entertainment uh, uh, drop-off, right? So famously, Conan, uh, his entire staff went on strike, but he's like, I want to keep paying these guys. So he was hosting shows just by himself. There's a very famous clip of him just like spinning his wedding ring on like the desk for 30 minutes, and that's like the entire episode. But like Conan, legend for doing that. He's like, I'm going to make sure every... Because the problem with the writers is like, you have people that are that are with you. They want you to start, they want you to get your bag. But we're talking like like the people on set, right? Like the the dressing people, the makeup people, the production people, they're also gonna be out of the job if there's a writing. So like guys like Conan were like, Yeah, screw it, I'm with you guys, like let's keep this thing going so everybody else can get paid, right? So which was amazing. Um and then now you kind of look at what content can be made. Okay, what's not scripted, right? A lot of reality. Be ready for a lot of reality TV shows, buddies. Um, if this thing uh, lasts, which is what happened last time. Reality shows, documentaries, and international wow. content, right? You know what's so funny? This of- is like, this is a complete like tangential thought, but the I think we talked about the Ethereum switch to proof of stake. The idea of all that processing power now being thrown at AI. Did we talk about that? Yeah, well, well uh, we have. I think we have mentioned it, but it's just funny. All the GPUs, right? Yeah, like downstream, like this is like the second order effects of this exactly. are like more, you know, fly on the wall, fucking nonsensical, non-written. Well, not not even nonsensical. I shouldn't say that, but like low You're not gonna get production stuff, right? Low yeah, production, low production. Effort You're not getting succession yeah. from that, right? Yes. Like you're getting- <laughs> Big exactly. Brother or Love Island vibes. I mean, Love Island is probably as well thought through. <laughs> to be fair, yeah, they do an hour every day. They're probably doing their numbers, right? Yeah. Well, the thing I'll say is, uh, so I'll just give people a little bit more inside baseball on like the scheduling. So the, the fall, so fall is really big for network television. Uh, they do a lot of the writing over the summer. So the fall lineup could be real thin if uh, they don't get a deal done. Um, another thing... Uh, Couple of, I could add. A, I did the apprenticeship stuff. Uh, I added one more thing on the inside baseball, which I thought was pretty interesting. There's something called mini rooms, and this is actually quite. A, this is actually a very big point of contention. I'll talk about this before I address AI, which is what Blah brought up. So the mini rooms, there's a, a 
there's basically a concept called mini rooms where you get people together, they can start working on a show, but they're paid at a lower rate because the show's not in production, okay? And these mini rooms, though, which kind of were like, they didn't really exist before. It was just called like people writing in a room and you get paid like a lower rate because the show's not in production. It's probably less stress that you don't have to be on call to finish something. But the entire industry, because of streaming and uh, the scheduling it does, kind of shifted to this mini room model where they just put people into this room, pay them this lower rate, but they, the work was the exact same. So they break full seasons, but you don't get paid like the good WGA, like high rate until the show's in production. And it just goes back to how these studios just had another lever where they could control where the money flows, right? And uh, this is a big point of contention. So now I'll touch on the last thing which Bilal brought up, which I think is very important, is AI stuff. Let me give you some of these signs that were written. It's in, in lieu of a yeah. meme in a week. We yeah, got like I wanna, 17 yeah, I wanna, signs. I won't even post a video up. Uh, or uh, Rafa has uh, the thread. I'll just say a couple of them. They're pretty yeah. good. Uh, let's replace studio execs with AI. Which is a pretty good one. This was this was pretty funny. Sure, I support AI. A as in all our terms being met, and I as in, in a fair, timely manner, which is pretty funny. This one this one is hysterical. My edible my edible just kicked in. I'll do this all night. That's that's the most LA shit I've ever yeah. seen. And then the absolute best one was you guys came up with Quibi. That's that was it. That was the entire. Uh, my favorite one was my neck, my back. We need a fair contract. I mean, uh, yeah, they're getting the music involved. That's a good one. <laughs> Pay your writers or we'll spoil succession. That's pretty funny. Uh, so the AI stuff, here it is. Here's the last thing we'll talk about AI before we get into uh, Bloomhouse, which is, which is actually a very interesting addition to this writer strike. So AI, there's two points of contention with AI. Again, think about what we open this with. Who controls a pot of money? And where is it directed? And who gets a piece of it? So the way it, there's two things very specifically that WGA wants to address about AI. And kind of shittily, the uh, studios, just they had a whole list of terms. The studios just like, yeah, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> just like, yeah, we're not even, literally, we're not even going to address that. We will do an annual technology review is what they said. Once a year, we'll look at the technology changing the industry and we'll make an assessment. AI has two parts. A big thing in writing in Hollywood is who gets credit. Story credits, you probably see this all the time. Because story credits means that's the waterfall of distributions and residuals, if there are to any to be had. If you have a story credit, you're going to check every month for ABC content. So what if the studios start crediting AI for stories, right? It's like, who's going to get paid from that? Who is getting the money? So this goes back to something we've talked in the previous two weeks about the music. Do you just sue the underlying, the models themselves for stealing the entire corpus of human, like, intellectual work? So there's that question. And the second part, this is, this one you guys might, uh, 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 I think this will uh, hit a light bulb for you. Do you guys know whenever you see a show, it's like based on this book, based on this person's life story, right? Guess what? Those people get residuals. If you're writing a story about a biography of somebody, the writer of that biography and the subject, if they're live or their estate, are going to get some money from that. So AI now, could it be a situation where AI creates the first draft and now you're basing your story off of AI? Again, where's the human in the loop? Who is getting paid for that? So those are kind of the two big AI things. Blah, does that kind of answer your yeah. question about the concerns with AI? Yeah, definitely. I think the the only last thought I had was what you guys were both saying. I agree with, agree with. I think the problem is 
like you guys said, there's a if you zoom out a little bit more beyond just Hollywood and that as content in air quotes. You know, we talked about level of succession. Like to me, succession is the best show on TV or one of the best. And you right now you need humans to do that. And I pr I'm pretty sure even in five years you probably will need a lot of humans to be making that level of story. But that's not to say that 50% of it couldn't couldn't have been sped up or helped with the use of AI. And so the interesting part here is I, I, I'm sensing the two parts to their kind of strike. The one part I really am on their side with, you know, they should be getting paid more for the changes in the industry, like the residuals, all that stuff. But then the hesitation with AI is understandable. But that's the part where I'm like, you kind of, that that's the same story we've seen play out many, many times before. So that's kind of the summary for me, how I feel about it. But, and then, and then the last point is if, if we are going to have, you know, let's say AI creating a bunch of this content in the future, maybe the, the level comes down from the succession, the breaking bad, et cetera, which I don't want, obviously, but you can say that's already happened, right? Like the average amount of content on the internet in just pure numerical terms, there's so much content on the internet that is entertaining people. And we still have, you know, the best of the best succession and movies and stuff like that. But so many people are spending eight hours a day on TikTok and YouTube yeah. and all these other places. On UGC, right? User UGC. generated content. And there's a reason that is also entertaining for the same way we like Big Brother and Love Island. So I think ultimately we're all fans of the market decides in a way. But I think in the short term, you kind of need to give those people the best chance to be able to create the best stuff like succession breaking back because that would be a huge shame to lose that level of um art essentially so yeah i hope they they're able to figure it out that's um, a good blow i will say you bring up blow with the nuance here right it's like yeah just instinctively you get it right there's this big pile of money the corporations are controlling it and the writers should have a bigger share but it also is like jack mentioned with the steamroller he said it in the context of distribution and monster megacorp. But in this sense, it's, it's technology, man. It's just like, there's just no question it's going to be involved. And, yeah. and Trunk, the last thing I'll say on that is there's people, when word processors came about, people loved the typewriter or whatever, right? And even in my house growing up, we had a typewriter and it was kind of fun playing around with it. But once you use a word processor, you're like, I don't need to learn how to spell anything ever again. And there's a thesaurus one click all that sort of stuff. And the people who were just so caught up with, oh, this is the way things are done, the same people who are really anti-Kindle books because they really love touching a physical copy, which I also love a physical copy, but I can say Kindle is also great in other in other ways or audio book is great in other ways. I think that's the nuance that is obviously it's really important. It's great for people that like to listen eight hours of audio. Exactly. <laughs> that. Well, that's true. Yeah, I can listen to way more than I can read. So that is also a good point. But anyway, yeah, I think that's a really good breakdown, Trung. Um, should we move on to the Bloomhouse topic to I round this out? Yeah, go I for it, one Jack. More one more analogy before we get there. So like, as you were explaining that last piece, there's almost a comparison here to architecture or like this idea of creating something grand because it's grand and you're going to lose money on it or you're not going to make as much money on it because you want to make something amazing versus idiocracy, Mr. Beast, 900 hours of like shocking, you know, dopamine draining content. Yeah, like there's an argument to be made that that's the more economically 
if we just did things because they make the most money, we're going to be living in a dystopian hellhole nightmare of gaping wide mouth YouTube thumbnails. So that is also a consideration, I think, where the people that are fighting for this stuff a lot of the time are just like, yeah, we know that this doesn't like this isn't the most economically viable thing, but if we're gonna spend our lives working on something, like let's try and make it good. You know, like Succession is not gonna be the most successful thing HBO has ever made in terms of Money. like the economics of it. But I don't know what would be fucking WrestleMania or something. I don't even know what shit yeah. they do. That well, they yeah, like the, the sport probably MMA, a sports franchise, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's true. Right. Yeah, the like dumb. You know, excuse me, sports fans. I'm a sports fan too, but they're like base instinct man smashing another man's face in is like the money making thing. With a metal chair. Yeah. Yeah. Versus the Shakespearean <laughs> chairs. The metal, TLC. The metal chair will never not be good. Dude, Incredible. when the metal chair comes on, the guys are all like, Look, goodness. Trump, you're, you're making you my guy... point for me, Trunk. You're making my point yeah. for me here. Trunk, were you the one doing the X Pac? Triple H thing at school was that you? No, but I, my my uh, I every the group I rolled with that was the thing, right? They jumped off the tables and like. What an incredible time though! What yeah. an incredible time oh. that was. Anyway, but yeah, great. That's a great analogy, Jack. And the only thing I'll say is just to keep us honest: is does that? I mean, if we believe in capitalism and we believe in a free market, does that not mean if we're just trying to create great art for art's sake, does that not just need to be? another model does that that isn't a capitalist you endeavor. have to have scale to do that i'm saying you have to have like in the way you're saying the... in hbo's case they can afford to do it because exactly right that helps exactly their brand right. and they want to create that yeah the the indie filmmaker has to like titillate in an extreme <laughs> way <laughs> titillate is the word of the day jesus christ what yeah what i'm saying though like you yeah, to, yeah. to to like build a reputation is is much easier to go that route and it's like if five or ten of these writers banded together to create something like the best chance they have of getting something great out into the world is to get a studio to base it's like a venture capital operation right it's like we're going to incubate this thing we're going to shield it from the economic reality for long enough that it becomes great enough to survive on its own like a kid like you have to make a sacrifice like for something to be economically viable from day one it has to be like, I'm going to say something horrible here, but it has to be like, I don't know. Uh, Jack, it has to appeal to canceled. a base instinct. Yes. It has to appeal to some base instinct. Yeah. So like yeah, it's yeah, TikTokified yeah. or it's just... Jack, Jack just really like, was... What is like, okay. Flashing I know Celia's like, listening. What is 75% of internet traffic? What is 80% of internet traffic? I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you I have no know. idea. Yeah. Try and look it up after the episode. Yeah. Okay, well, Jack, I think, Jack, you you basically walked me into the Bloomhouse model. Okay, perfect. You walked it in perfectly. So for those that don't know, Jason Bloom is a producer who runs Bloomhouse Productions. They're responsible, as we talked about at the top of the show. Well, first of all, they're responsible for probably the most profitable film ever on a return basis. Paranormal Activity made, we talked about it last week, made 200 million plus on like a sub all in, like a sub uh, thirty thousand dollar budget. It was like fifteen thousand was the first cut, um, but they spent like a couple mil on uh, marketing. But the reason why what Jack was saying was a perfect example of this was Bloomhouse has created a factory for creativity, but based around a, a venture capital model 
and B, extreme financial discipline. So Jack, you're talking about, okay, how do you shield people from the financial realities? And you brought up a great point. And this is exactly what Bloom does though. He shields people from financial realities by saying, we're only going to make five to $10 million movies. That's it. You, we're not going to have a $300 million flop. You want to know why? Because we're not even going to try that. We're going to do a five to $10 million movie, but we're going to do lots of them, venture capital style, to get the home runs. But this is the beauty about Bloomhouse and why it's so genius, though. And, and I don't know how scalable the business is, right? Inherently, they couldn't do a Marvel movie because of their model, right? They want a five to $10 million budget. So they did two things. Number one is this. They identified a hole in the market. They, the, the hole they realized was this. Studios, to make back money on these uh, cartoons, sequels, and uh, big-budget films, they're only going to do the same movies over and over again, right? Uh, uh, existing IP, sequels, threequels, ETC. And then these other movies, Bilal said he really liked Get Out. Did you watch Get Out in theaters, Bilal? Uh, no, I watched that on a plane. You watched that on a plane? Yeah. Well, wait, Jack, did you see it in theaters? I haven't seen it. Okay, okay. It, uh, Bilal knows it's, uh, it's, it's incredible. But I will say we've been off it for a couple of years. Go ahead, Bilal. I will say one of the actors was also on my podcast, Erica Alexander. So Oh, amazing. She's a uh, oh, creator. She's, uh, this episode is sponsored by yeah, Creator right, Lab. Exactly. Go. Was this before yeah, yeah. what episode number was it? Is this before or after Getter? I don't Get remember. No, it was after Getter. It was after Getter. She was you also in like Cosby Show and uh, okay. Living Single back in the day. Classic. Well, Original there friends. There you go. So, uh, so was it Erica? Erica Alexander, yeah. Erica, if you're listening, let me break down the Bloomhouse model for you. <laughs> yeah. And she has you a production very, company now, actually. I was about actually, to say, so she's very, probably very familiar with it. But here it is. You, we talk about it all the time. We talk about it with Jack's graphics. Creativity, I mean, constraints breed creativity. Jack is allowed to do a couple lines on a black background with white lines. With white, right? Like, that's Jack's aesthetic. But it's created this Jack cinematic universe of graphics. So this is where creativity I mean, con constraints beat creativity for Bloomhouse. They're like, this is how much we're going to spend. Okay, how do we attract the best people for only to give them this budget? They make a trade-off. They go, we'll give you final cut. You can have the final cut of your film however you want it, as long as it comes under budget. So there you go, right? That's a trade-off. So now you get super talented guys like Jordan Peele to do this trade-off, but he has to keep the movie under budget, but he gets final cut. Amazing. So now it trickles down. What does Jordan have to do? He has to make sure that his story, and, and this works really well for horror. So Jason Bloom brings up two reasons why horror is good for a low budget. The first reason is this. If you don't have to pay a superstar to make a horror movie work. In fact, superstars are a negative. If you have Tom Cruise in a horror movie, the entire time you're watching the movie, you're like, oh my God, that's Tom Cruise. You're not thinking about the tension, the thriller stuff. You're just like, that's Tom Cruise, right? Like, it's very difficult to have a really classic horror movie with a superstar. I mean, you can create a superstar from a horror movie, but just to put one in, that's why they really ever happen. The second reason horror movies don't need big budgets comparatively is you don't want something sci-fi. You want a camera in a bedroom that every single parent in the world can relate to. And it's like, that's fucking scary, right? It's like the found footage stuff. Jack knew the guys that did Blair Witch. Like the, the found footage stuff, low budget, but it's scary as hell because it feels real. So horror works really well with low budget. So Bloomhouse targets horror, targets low budget, gives final cut, 
So he gets really talented people, and then stuff starts happening on set. You have to make these creative decisions, like, you can't give too many talking parts. Because if you give talking parts back to WGA chat, you got to pay minimums. So you minimize how many people even talk, right? So you got to write around that. So uh, the budget creates these constraints, but attracts really talented people. And it also lets you take shots with stories that otherwise would made. Get Out would never have been made in a traditional studio system. But because of the arrangement that the budget constraint created, it attracted Jordan Peele. He's able to do this film. And like the other, they've done The Purge, uh, Paranormal Halloween. Activity. Halloween, Looks the like. reboot. Uh, the other one I'll mention, they've gone outside of horror. They did Whiplash, which is an incredible film. Whiplash. Uh, the, the drummer. So, Tron, could, could I ask uh, you, on the very back highly... end? Sorry, go on. I just said that film did incredibly well, if I remember. Yeah. yeah. Trunk, do you know um, how there, I don't know if I just missed this, what you were just saying there, but the back end for Jordan Peele or whoever's partnering with them on points. this, yeah, they, they pay, pay a, a lot more. Points. Do you know the difference? But is that like reported? Oh, it's ma- It's it's massive. It's because the upfront's so low, right? It's like, and, and he says something which I think we can all relate to. We all love creativity. He goes, when you bring in money, and this is applicable to all our venture capital founder people, when you bring in money, that's extra voices, extra cooks in the kitchen, you lose control. And when you lose control, especially in creative industries, that's when the product is all these compromises and trade-offs. Because if, you if you're working with a studio and the studio head gives you notes and he's giving you $200 million and notes, you're going to listen to those notes. However, if you're fully aligned with your financiers and your creatives where you're like, hey, listen, if this movie does well, everybody gets paid. If not, whatever. But you get a final cut. But these are the terms with which it's made. You have way more chance to follow through in your creative vision. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, this is why the model's genius. It's fully aligned. Because as soon as you start bringing out the big money, like, WeWork's a great story, right? WeWork would have been just totally fine. This is a real estate operation in New York. Massa Yoshi song comes in, here's $10 billion. Okay, well, that changes. And you well, get adjusted in yeah, that. That's what happens. Exactly, right? You start buying, like, indoor pools to justify this insanity. So, like, I think there's a, and uh, the spoiler, I'm writing about this from my upcoming uh, email, but this is the idea that, I think Blue Mouse is such a great example of like, people always talk about, oh, constraints be creativity. But like on a business model level, it literally did that. And uh, I find it, I think it's an incredible company. But yeah, yeah that's, that's all I have to say. Cool. What, I just wanted to open up a question to you both. How, what other industries or areas do you think you could apply this to? Because you mentioned venture capital already in kind of tech businesses where you're, trying to give people that ownership where they wouldn't otherwise have it. It's not exactly the same thing. I'm just curious, do you think there are other creative fields that this could work really well for? Because I think the creed differentiator here was, you said it's low budget, because I'm looking here, most of them look like under 10 million in budget, yeah. five to 10 million. And, uh, the, but there's something that if it blows up, there's, it's just a crazy, you know, oh, yeah, knock out of the, the park win. Well, I'll give you something like very, uh, I'll answer the question about another example, but before then I'll, I'll add one more like layer to this, which makes it super interesting. So Jason Bloom guarantees the director a final cut, but he doesn't tell them whether or not they'll get the- theatrical distribution. And it's actually the same thing. Because as soon as he tells somebody, oh, you'll get theatrical distribution, it actually might change how you make the movie. Zoom, like yeah. he's truly trying to give this individual full control freedom the pressure yeah. it's like if you're going to go to theater you might be like mm, I need a couple more special effects okay well that's going to take money out of the budget you might not be able to get the actor you want now so like he's literally like this is it this is the deal it's the cleanest deal in the world you get upside final cut has to cost this much exactly um, to answer your question about 
uh, the but this won't be a creativity thing, but it's more budget related. It's Costco, Jack's favorite company in the Everything world. Everything comes back to Costco. <laughs> Everything <laughs> comes back to Costco. But no, no, but here I'll, I'll give you an example. Costco, right? So their whole reason to exist is to make money off the memberships, as Jack knows. Jack, you get the cash back. You have the cash back card, the gold. You're 120 year. I'm on the exclu- I'm on Yo, the yeah. uh, executive on membership. Back, yeah, the right? platinum one, mate. Yeah, you're on the cap- yeah. I'm still on the Black entry card, level because yeah. I did the numbers. I, I did, it did. I, I wouldn't be able to do enough. And they always hit you up right at the counter, like, man, just upgrade. You would have made your money back. I'm like, uh, you're not getting yeah. me today, Costco. Yeah. <laughs> Spreadsheets. Okay. Fans, guys, CFA certified <laughs> <Yeah>. analysis <laughs> on there. They yeah. like two bucks a year. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, no, I'll give you an example. So if their entire point of existence is like, the most we'll ever do is add. 14% margin on our product. That's the most. On most, it'll be 1% or 2%. That means we got to... That dictates everything else about the uh, about the place. It's not fancy now. It's the least fancy place in the world. They, they get them in the palace, they fucking throw them up on the walls, right? That's it. There's no fancy displays because they can't afford that. They don't want to afford that. And then this is the exact one that everybody here can relate to. When you leave Costco, Jack, what do you leave with? What do you put your groceries in? You put them into bags? Are there Costco Sir, plastic bags? No, you do not. What do you put them in? You you use the boxes in which the goods arrived at the Correct. store. Like the a steak in a box. That's the best. Yes. <laughs> why, it is, why is that? It's because somebody at Costco ran the numbers, and they're like, it would cost $50 million a year to have plastic bags. And, they're and like, to recycle the boxes. And, and to it's recycle, yeah. yeah. They're just like, Get rid of the use stuff. the boxes. It's, it's, Done. It's great. And the boxes give off this idea of frugality. So it doubles down on the entire image of Costco. It's just the greatest move. I think that box is the greatest, like, single business decision. It just encapsulates everything. But anyways, man, yeah. that's All right, that's, that's a good example. example. I'm just trying to think out loud here because I don't think one's coming to mind for me, but I'm just curious if anything does go for you because I, I feel like there are other areas this could apply to that might not be people aren't applying it to because any anything in the creative field but i think the unique thing with movies is you spend like a few mil up front but then the upside is you can keep going forever you know so um i don't know if there's anything with tv D- does anyone do this for tv or like documentaries well, I mean, similar is like uh yeah i mean i think you nailed this like when you asked initially similar with probably a lot of music right like independent studios or people that don't have the money to pay up front they'll just is it cut the equity right we'll give you upside Align everyone. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Anyways. That's great. I, got a, I got a left field one, boys. It's not really related to the economics of it. the situation, but I'm going to plug uh, my sister-in-law who did a interview Repress? with Joe Rogan. And she interviewed Joe Rogan a couple of weeks ago. Oh, went no to way. his comedy club in Austin. Oh, sick. And I saw res- the article this morning. I didn't read it yet. That's her article? She wrote that, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, but the idea, the constraint in that situation is the guests can't use their phones. And if you read the article, it basically says that leads to better comedy because people develop their jokes with less fear of being caught, you know, either not articulating it properly or, you know, getting it Cancel slightly the off. process. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The idea that like a constraint applied to an environment creates a better outcome consistently so that's just fresh in my mind from reading that yeah but, definitely um, that's great 
just rules that exist to make the work better i think is uh, yeah maybe that's a better great. frame for what we were thinking about it's like what are the we, like as strong said constraints breed creativity we've talked i mean jack and i spoke about it on our first ever crate lab episode and it was just uh and i think trunk me and you spoke about it as well it's just a common thread boy thing to say but you guys well, have actually given real examples <laughs> now that jack brought up that example i got two more for you guys i didn't know that's what you wanted below you well, should I mean, it's evolved. My thought evolved because okay. I was thinking out loud. Dr. Seuss, Green Eggs and Ham. That book was written with 50 words because Dr. Seuss's editor said, I bet you can't write a book with only 50 words. That's great. So Green Eggs and Ham has only 50 words used. 800 total because it's repeated. 862, I think. But only 50 That's words class. are ever used. That's class, right? That's the reminder. Hey, Bilal, do you remember the England interviews? Are you going to say that? Like no, you no, were no, 96, where they were all betting each other that they couldn't say like song names in TV oh, interviews yeah, yeah, and stuff. Yeah. But it just incredible that. to watch back. That's the best, where you just got insert words. Well, I think <laughs> yeah. I told you guys this probably on the pod before, but my first job at Google on the phones, we would tell each other words that we needed to plug on the phone call. So I'll be talking with a serious client talking about AdWords. And someone would be like, the word of the day is like Barbie doll. And I'll be like, oh, I just have to throw that in the conversation just to keep us entertained. It keeps you sharp, man. It keeps, keeps you sharp, sharp too. Like we should do that for the podcast. The we should ask people in Telegram. The challenge words. Well, you guys challenge words. Me. When I went on well, BBC, we did, didn't we? you're yeah. like, oh, can, wait, you, wait. can yeah, you use yeah, the yeah, word yeah. encrypted? Well, for the listeners that don't oh, know this word, this is what I managed So I wrote a thread, thread boys, speaking of which, about how iPhone beat Blackberry. And then went viral, BBC hits me up. So this is a news radio BBC, like their top show with millions of listeners. And Jack goes, Jack and Bob go, do you think you can uh, put encrypted wall of energy into your <laughs> I think you did Relating that. to Bitcoin, yeah, I did. did. I went. Oh my God, so good. Yeah, I went, think about, you think, I went, this is why BlackBerry lost. They thought they could build a business around enterprise and they did a great job. You put an encrypted wall of energy around the phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet they were just nodding their head like, yeah, they're oh, just yeah, like, yeah, yeah, ooh, yeah. yeah oh, this guy is yeah. 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 Dude, so uh, last thing I'll add is um, the other famous one. We all know this one, Ernest Hemingway. A pro- apocryphal story, uh, but given uh, told to, said that he was responsible. Can you write a short story with six words, right? You remember this, Jack? Remember this blog? Six oh, words? I don't pack. know if I did. Children's shoes. Uh... Brand, uh, uh, brand new, never used. Or uh, selling was oh, it six words. You remember yeah, that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus. So yeah. like that's a full story in six words, right? Like what happened to this kid? Ernest Hemingway, uh, six words. Anyway, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I've read that before. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's so, so the uh, last one. Oh, go on, go on, Tron. I was gonna say it's for sale. Baby shoes, never worn. Woo! That's a story, Ooh, bro. That, that could be a whole movie right there. That's a movie. That could be a Bloomhouse movie. The other one I'd say just coming fresh out my mind right now is the um, the rappers where you got the alphabet rappers where you got to oh, go yeah. from A to Z and it's like a freestyle, but you're going every single. Was that's it your MF constraint. It's like sounds like well, MF yeah, Doom. Well, yeah, I've seen, yeah, I think MF Doom might do it. And then there's a few UK artists I've seen do it really, really well as well that. There's a guy called Low Key. Have you ever heard that one, uh, Jack? Mm. He does an oh, yeah. Alphabet Assassin, it's called. Yeah, incredible. On YouTube. Talent. Incredible. Yeah, mad. He got, like, literally just goes for ages. He just keeps going. And they're like really big words. They're not just basic words. He's really doing incredible. And his flow is incredible as well. Would you say multi syllabic? <laughs> yeah, Jesus yes, Christ. There we go. Exactly. Yeah. 
All right, talking of which, oh, well, the last could... one, boys. Go on, go on. Twenty-one million Bitcoin. There we go. The, alter, the, the ultimate, ultimate constraint. constraint. <laughs> yeah, it comes back to that. Jack has to always get in the Bitcoin shield oh, at the end. Green. Hey, I got me. I have to, to text Sailor after this and let him know <laughs> that I got it plugged. Yeah, yeah. All right, boys. Great, great episode. Thanks again for everyone being here. We appreciate you guys. We'll see you guys next week on the next episode. Cheers. That was good. Cheers, boys. That was great, boys. That was fantastic. Oh, 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 oh,